Welcome to the Passion Business Podcast, the podcast for free spirits with a big idea who want to turn their passion into a business. I'm Anke Herman, and I'm your host. My guest today is an entrepreneur enthusiast who lives by the mantra, work less and make more. She enjoys helping entrepreneurs ditch vanity metrics for true, profitable connections. She's the CEO of Yes Boss, a digital agency that helps entrepreneurs book podcast features so they can generate new leads in just one hour per week. Welcome, Kristen Molina. Hello and welcome, Kristen. I'm excited to have you here. I'm really excited to chat with you. Well, let's just dive straight in. Why don't you let people know where in the lovely world you are and what's your business? Yeah, so I am in the US. I'm in Scottsdale, Arizona. So it is, despite the fact that I'm wearing short sleeves most of the year, this is appropriate. This time of year, not so much, but I'm trying to <laughs> pretend like it's sunny right now. <laughs> yeah, so I run a business called Yes Boss, and we help entrepreneurs with their visibility and credibility strategies. And our methodology is profitable podcast guesting. So we live and breathe podcasts. You know, I'm constantly on podcasts as a guest and we help our clients get on podcasts as guests. It's really fun. It's really fun. So I, I say that talking is my zone of genius. That, this is what I do. I show up and <laughs> so I talk. So you're in the right place then. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> now, of course, you would know that I'm going to ask you, is that something that you had in mind when somebody asked you, you know, when you were at high school, like, what do you want to do later on? Is that something that was somehow on the horizon or, or not at all? Oh gosh. Well, if you had told me that I could talk for a living, I would have said yes, but I didn't know that this existed. <laughs> I did definitely did not know that I wanted to be a business owner. It, you know, I always growing up, it was a lot of, I don't know what I want to do. I don't know what I want to do, but in hindsight, I could actually see that I was very entrepreneurial from the start. I did a lot of little projects as a kid. I was very like money motivated. I would do anything random to make money. Got my first job when I was 15. Like I really wanted to work. I liked the idea of working. So in hindsight, I could say that, yes, I could see that entrepreneurialism in me. But I didn't know that this existed. And it it's it was it was definitely a journey for me. This was not a straight path. I didn't know where I was headed. And I feel like mm -hmm. you could ask me one year ago where I would be now. And it's like, well, I didn't know I'd end up here. So it's it's shifted a lot throughout the years. Yeah. I'm tempted to say I'm not surprised because I think it happens to most people. So what was the first thing you did then when you left school? Yeah. So when I left school, I had gotten my first office job before I graduated from high school. And I guess part of the story about that is that I actually graduated high school a year early. And I think when some people hear that, they think like, oh, wow, she's very academic. Well, no, I am very good at doing just enough to be done. So, <laughs> so I realized that I didn't have to necessarily get straight A's. I could be like a B and even sometimes a C student. As long as I passed, the classes, I could check them off the list and I could get it done. So I'm very much like, just get it done. Move on, move on, move on. I'm always looking for the next thing. So I was able to graduate. I actually technically graduated when I was still 16. It was about two weeks before my 17th birthday, but I was really young and I had my first office job. So at the time I had been working at my orthodontist office. So 
the same person that put braces on my teeth was my first <laughs> employer. And, you know, I was looking for a new job. And at the time I found a new job that paid pretty well. So for me, it paid pretty well as a high school kid. And it was an office job. And I realized how much I really loved working in an office. So the the story, I guess, is that I preferred working to school and that was a struggle with my family. They wanted me to get mm-hmm. a degree. They thought that that would be the right foundation. So I graduated high school in three years and then I got a two-year college degree in 10 years <laughs> because I was so <laughs> unmotivated. <laughs> I was so unmotivated to go to school because I didn't want to spend money on an education when I could learn a lot of stuff. I mean, I really was always learning a lot of stuff when I was working a job. So that was a battle between my family and I. They wanted the education and I just wanted to work. Mm, that's interesting, isn't it? I think a lot of people would relate to that. So looking back in hindsight, do you think your per- parents were right in a way? Or do you think, oh boy, I wish I'd been more stubborn and they- just did it my way? No, I I don't think they were right. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) but I tend to have just a kind of a life philosophy that's a whole lot different from everybody in my family. So my whole family, I mean, I come from a line of people that work in government. So people that work in local government, it's that like get a job, stay there for 30 years, collect benefits, accrue vacation time, very steady low risk, you know, when we, you get together with my family, just about every family dinner, everybody's talking about how much they have in 401k plans and how much vacation time they've racked up. And I'm over here saying like, I think I have an itch for a new idea. And, and everybody's <laughs> thinking, oh, well, there goes Kristen again, another risk that she's going to take. So no, I, no one, no one asks me, you are the first person that has ever asked me about like my high school or college. Like nobody asked me, you know, what degree do you have? No one cares what degree I have. <laughs> Thank God. Right. Thank God. Cause I don't really have a degree. I have a two-year degree, but yeah, I, I didn't see it. I didn't see it coming. My family really wanted me to, or pushed for the low risk path. And I've never been one to do that. But it's, it's fascinating to see that you kind of knew really early on, like, because quite often you talk to people, they have the urge, but at the same time, they're so influenced by the upbringing that they actually do go the degree path and then change tack. So you knew quite right from the start. So, okay, so that first office job, what was next? Yeah. So I I worked a series of office jobs and what ended up happening is every time I got a job, like I always worked for really small companies. So I want to put that into perspective. I liked small companies. I liked being able to walk into the owner's office and be able Mm -hmm. to talk to the person in charge. Like I liked that small intimate environment, but every single job that I got, I ended up getting promoted from within. So like the first, one of the first jobs I had in a proper office was being like an administrative assistant. When I left, I ran the office. I was the office manager. Then I got brought into my last like quote unquote corporate job. And I say that because it's very small business, but that was a consultancy for people that were launching beauty and cosmetic products. And I was brought in to just kind of help like probably, I don't know what you would call the position. I think I was technically brought in as an assistant project manager, but when I left, I was the vice president of the company. Like I really ran the show for the owner and I had we had talked even about me taking over the company when she retired. And so that was my last 
regular job, but ultimately I had to leave that job because of stress between my boss and I, I, she didn't, she and I butted heads a lot. It was a really, it was a really unhealthy environment. She didn't treat me very well. And the bummer thing about it was that I was so passionate about the work. Like I had always been really passionate about the work. I loved the clients. I loved the work that I was doing. I loved all of those things, but I needed to get out. And I realized at that point, you know what? I love working so much, but I can't let people keep hindering like my growth. And so I need to just start my own thing. And that's when I realized that I could start my own thing. So the story goes that I thought because I was a really fantastic employee that I would be a really fantastic entrepreneur, you know, uh, ego. (laughs) As one does. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I, I was just certain about it. And it, my, when I started my entrepreneurial journey, I spent 14 months living in a spare bedroom at my in-laws with my husband and two large dogs because I was not a fantastic entrepreneur. Those skills were not transferable. And I really, really struggled those first 14 months. I didn't really know what to do. I, I thought that I would do coaching and consulting for the same industry that I had come out of because that's where I had experience. But what really highlighted for me is while I loved the work, I wasn't passionate about the beauty industry. That just wasn't what I wanted to do. And I realized in that time that I was actually pretty passionate about passionate people, which is a weird passion to have. You know, I, I was passionate about other people that wanted to be business owners and I didn't know if that was a job. It was just like, well, okay, cool. Like, what do I do with that? And really after struggling for 14 months, I realized I just need to do something to make some kind of money, but I don't want to sacrifice my freedom anymore. Mm-hmm. And I went into becoming a virtual assistant and I got my first Uh, virtual assistant gig, making a whopping $15 an hour, set me on the trajectory that I've, or the journey that I've been riding ever since. So that was in 2016 when I got my very first client in January that year. So we've been, I've been doing this thing for five years now. Wow. Wow. There's a lot, there's a lot in there. And I love that you share that so openly because yeah, there's often that idea that I I was giggling one year when I heard you talk, because I went, uh, and left my job, moved to Spain to start a sewing business, like literally with this, like, how hard can it be? <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> I know how to sew and I know how to do stuff. So, yeah. So what did you, because I think a lot of skills are in fact transferable. Which ones were the ones that you realized, Jesus, nobody prepared me for that. So as an employee, there's a big, big, I've thought about this a lot. There's a very big distinction here. The biggest one that I feel is when you are an employee, you are expected to be a doer. So employees, their worth is found in being able to do more things, have more skills, have a wider range of skills, be able to accomplish more things to actually get in and get the work done. And what I have found now is that as a business owner, the more that I do. And the more I would even for me specifically, the more that I know, it actually ends up sabotaging some of my success because I think if I know how to do it, therefore I should be doing it. And therefore I shouldn't hire somebody else to do it. I shouldn't be putting a system or a person in place to build this company. I need to be the company. So as an employee, like you are what you do, like the boundaries of the value that you bring are you, right? But as a business owner, what I have realized is that I am responsible for building an entity, a company that is outside of just Kristen Molinar. 
So I need to put people and processes in place. I am now, I'm a visionary leader. So I'm supposed to come up with what's the next thing on the horizon and lead a team or, you know, even for solopreneurs, lead automations and lead processes and all of these things. So the sabotaging thing is when we think that we've got to do it all ourselves, because then really what I have realized is then we become self-employed. I like to say this a lot because I think it really hits home for people. A lot of people I hear refer to their business as their baby. And this is like a justification <laughs> for holding on to all the things. Well, I have a three-year-old. And so this really hit home for me about three years ago. And I realized, wow, even my son, I am raising to be independent. At some point, mm -hmm. he will have independence to go to school. He will eventually leave the house, get married, all of these things. But we don't even think about the fact that we're hoarding onto our babies like little infants and never allowing them to grow any into anything, but then wondering why our businesses aren't growing. Well, you're not giving them any independence here. You're holding on to them and you're making them so dependent on you. And when they're when something is so dependent on us, there is a limit to where it can grow. That's so, that's so true. That, that really hits home. I think that hits home for me and it hits for a lot of people, I'm, I'm sure. So, okay, but you're not a VA now. I am not. Mm. I am not a VA. But that was an interesting one, going from being seen as a doer to being seen as an expert. That was like a whole mm. other journey for me. Because- I bet. Frankly, I had I was running a virtual assistant agency, so we've hit our first six figures in 2018. We I was running a six-figure agency that pretty much knew how to run itself, but I was still doing all the sales calls. So I was meeting people as they were coming in the door, right? And I was so frustrated that people would introduce me via email and say like, my friend Kristen is a really great VA. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, mm. please stop calling me a VA. <laughs> I'm not a VA. But nobody knew better. You know, I had never taken the time to, I mean, it kind of rebrand myself mm -hmm. in a way. You know, yeah. I, I, yes, I ran a virtual assistant business and, you know, now I run an agency that helps people get on podcasts, but that's not like my, that, that I don't want to be known for that. Like I, I, I myself, I have a separate identity. You know, I am the owner of this company. Yes, but I am not the company. You know, the company is multiple people on my team that run that business with me. So I would actually say that I didn't know that it was going to do this, but becoming a podcast guest is one of those things that really helped me shift perspective. So I was able to become more visible as a podcast guest, obviously, because you're meeting new podcast hosts, you're being introduced to their audience, but it also upped my credibility because mm -hmm. I think that a lot of people spend a lot of time like putting their expertise out there, trying to hope that someone will see them as an expert because they're giving so much value that I think the trick that I kind of hit on here unintentionally was that other people started bragging about me and my credibility went up as a result because I would show up and I would start talking about what I learned about entrepreneurship, what I, what I found to be true, offering advice and all of these things. And other people started doing the bragging for me. So that elevated how people saw me. We were able to raise our prices. I stopped being introduced to people as the VA. People that had been in my circle, like on say on LinkedIn, especially people that I'd been following since being in the beauty industry, they started reaching out to me going, oh, I had no idea that you did this thing. Like I had no idea you were an expert. 
And the VA being the doer really started to shed off of me because I was controlling the narrative and getting out there in a way that was giving me credibility. So thank goodness for that (laughs) because I was getting really tired of being seen as you know, and not to discredit people that are VAs, but in my mind, it was like, I'm ready to do something else. I'm ready to go to that next level. And I need to take control of the narrative. Mm, Taking control of the narrative. That really resonates with me because I really had a similar experience when I first created videos to talk about, you know, taming the tech monster and brought my tech skills in, I often got this, oh, so what are you then? Are you VA or are you web designer? I'm like, no. So it was that same thing. And from what I hear you say, probably for similar reasons, that sense that, well, if you look at me as somebody that you need to come and tell what to do, you miss out on about 95% of what I can offer you. Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That was a big part of our pivot because we, you know, up until about a year ago, we were still doing all the things for our clients. So while I wasn't the VA, my team was doing Mm. all the work. So my team was functioning as like an online business management VA team and our clients guided the strategy. And I would talk to my team. We would have team meetings. They would tell me the various things our clients were doing. And I would sit back and go, oh, that's not going to work. Nope, that's not a good idea. And my team would say, well, their coach is telling them to do the thing. And I'm thinking, well, we don't have any control. I mean, we're not in a position of controlling this because people don't see us as an expert. And when we started, when we decided that we wanted to just do podcast booking for our clients, it was just this huge light bulb for me because when clients come in, I can say, we will guarantee visibility. We will guarantee that you're going to up your credibility. We can guarantee that you can make a shift from being seen as a doer to being seen as an expert. We can guarantee that you will control the narrative and having that kind of control in the niche that we chose. That's what for me, like sealed it. Yes, this is what we're going to do because finally people are going to listen to us. And when they listen to us, we can actually get them the results that we're trying to get them. Yeah. It it was a frustrating position to be in for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing I hear is from doing all the things for all the clients that narrowing down. Right. And I think, yeah, we talked about micro famous, you know, that really narrowing down and scratching the creative itch by going deep and really becoming good at one thing. And I think there's a lot of gold in there and you literally, you're living proof of it. And I think the even crazier thing to me, aside from how narrow we've been able to go, because that's kind of wild to me, like really you can take a niche this narrow and still (laughs) do, you know, be successful in it. The, the crazy thing is that now I'm able to look back at all these things like in my childhood and like on and, and my journey and I've because we're so specific, I've been able to and this is what you mean, I, I think by like crafting your own creativity in the role, I've been able to determine my own role. Now mm-hmm. I do get like what I do <laughs> what I bring to the table as I talk, <laughs> you know, I was the kid. I was the kid in family events that the camera would get turned on and my family would say, oh, there's Kristen jumping around in front of the camera again. Now, what do I do for a living? Like, <laughs> this is what <laughs> I do. Yeah. That is really interesting. Literally, I, I did a post on, I don't know, somewhere asking literally that, like, what did you most love to do when you were a child? And how does that show in the work you do today? And it was incredible that literally everybody found a connection. Yeah. 
Yeah. Sometimes it takes a journey. Oh yeah. It takes bobbing and weaving and doing these things. And, you know, I was talking to my niece the other day and it's like, you know, sometimes the journey highlights for you what you don't want to do. <laughs> And that's okay, but that gets you closer to the thing you do want to do. And when all those puzzle pieces start to come together, it's just this like, whoa, but I never could have known it without experiencing all the things along the way. Never could have known it. I'm so glad you say that because I think there's so often people looking for the shortcut, looking for the, you know, I always say looking for certainty where there isn't any, looking for that proven path that I just have to follow. And I don't think... That's where the fun is. I don't think that's where the grow, growth is. And I don't think that's where the, where the evolution and the learning is. Yeah, yeah. My motivation for being an entrepreneur was to create freedom for myself. Mm-hmm. I mean, aside from creating, my, one of my other was to create work environments that people would enjoy. So that was big for me. But, you know, I think that people think that freedom and, and enjoying your work is something for someday. And what I've realized is that with a focus on the journey and really being intentional about that journey and not just being just money focused, like money isn't the prerequisite for all of these things, enjoying the journey and really being there for the journey enables you to have some of those other things right from the get-go. Like freedom, I had that right from the get-go. Honestly, even when I was making $15 an hour, I started outsourcing tasks at $15 an hour and making money off the top passively. So if you think about things more strategically and get, get serious about what you want out of your journey, you can have those things in your journey, even when you're just starting out. But I think just too many people put pressure on, you know, a lot of the marketing messages that we see, we put stock in what people are telling us a hundred thousand in three months, a million and you know, what, whatever, thinking that those are the benchmarks for success. And what I'm saying is that if you focus on what you really want now and have a journey that reflects what you find joy in now, that financial success will come and you will experience that financial success without having sacrificed the other stuff and having to undo all the bad habits that you've learned along the way. Yeah, that's that's so true. And I also love that you say that the freedom you actually start out with, it's not something that comes with a certain number of revenue because, you know, how many people make a lot of money, but don't have freedom. And some people make no money and don't have freedom either. Right. So it's just, it's just not, hasn't got anything to do with the bank balance basically. You're absolutely right. And it's a bummer that more people don't realize that. I don't feel like a lot of people are talking about it because it's not, you know, Mm -hmm. it's not a a sexy message to share, but there's so (laughs) much reality in it. You're right. How many of us know people that do make a lot of money, have no freedom or don't make very much at all and have zero freedom? It's sad. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. And it's just, and I think, you know, that old saying, you can't ever have enough of what you don't really need. You know, Mm. I think it's never more true than, than here. Yeah. So I was about to ask you where you're headed, but I'm still curious about the service you're actually offering. Okay. You know, because people, people who are listening are listening to podcasts, right? So what's the difference between me going out and uh, finding myself podcasts to be a guest on and hiring you or your company, obviously not you. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for setting that expectation. Yes, I'm not doing all the booking. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. So the way that we see, we see our service in three parts and all of them have a lot of importance. So uh, the three parts of how we work with somebody is we sit down and we help you figure out how you need to position yourself for the podcast market. So we're sitting down and we're, we're writing talking points for you. So this is one of the things that I have identified as somebody who's doing podcasting and it's really helped further their, their business and it's helped them control the narrative and helped, you know, help other people see them in the light they want to be in is really your bio and your talking points and how you're pitching people. When you don't have these things in place, podcast hosts don't know what to talk to you about. And so you really have to deliver these on a silver platter. It's a lot of what people do when they hire a PR agency is let's look at your angle. You know, how are you going to come into this conversation? What are the things you need to say to both attract people that are your ideal audience and repel people that are not your ideal audience? Because that's another (laughs) thing that I discovered when we came into this niche is I was saying things in the beginning about being a podcast guest that was attracting people with the wrong thinking about being a podcast guest. And so I Mm -hmm. had to finagle, okay, how am I talking about this service so that people know that they're the right fit for me? So for me, this is all about relationships, going out and building relationships with podcast hosts and not about just using a podcast host to get to their audience. So I feel like that's like looking at looking for a one hit wonder strategy. I'm interested in a long tail strategy. I want to meet people that I'm interested in knowing a year down the line. So putting together those talking points is the very first part. And then we do done for you booking. So our philosophy is that we want to help our clients work less and make more. So we're constantly looking for ways to take (laughs) Yeah, a lot of people like that one. So we want to take that work off of a client's plates. So the idea is we do all the research. We do all the back and forth communication. We just put podcast interviews on your calendar with the information you need to be prepared for that interview. But the biggest thing that I think that we offer our clients is the education component. So Mm -hmm. this is not about the one hit wonder. Like I said, this is about longevity. This is about knowing how to leverage every single interview for additional visibility and additional credibility. Those things don't come from just showing up, talking, hanging up the phone, and then never coming back to it. That's, that, that is a poor use of somebody's time. And so what I've done is I talk through with our clients exactly how we have leveraged everything we do. So Yes, I've been on podcasts that have millions of episodes or millions of downloads. I've also been on podcasts that have tens of thousands of people on the email list. And you know what happened to those episodes outside of a relationship? Absolutely nothing. And I I feel like people don't, people need to hear that. It's not about going after the vanity metrics and hoping something will happen. Having an entrepreneur publish one episode or send one email that has my name on it has not blown up my business. However, the relationships that I have fostered with podcast hosts over time have gotten me invited back to speak as a guest expert, have gotten me places in their email automated sequences, have ended up being very great like collaborative partnerships and referral partners. That is where the profit is in that relationship. And so that is what we spend time teaching our clients. And there's a lot of education that comes from me and my team just to make sure that we're not booking you on say, we'll get you on 20 podcasts. Well, we're going to teach you how to turn that 20 into 40 into 60 and really drag that out for, for a career, not for a one hit wonder. 
So that's yeah. the difference between going out and doing it alone versus doing it with somebody like us. That sounds fabulous. So what's on the horizon for you? What, what are you working on? What are you excited about? I'm excited about just continuing to pour education into our clients. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know that that sounds kind of like, really, is that really the thing that, that you're interested in? But what I've realized is that the, the way, the thing that fills me up is seeing other people get results. And, and that goes back to something I said, like right at the beginning of this conversation, you know, when I was floundering as an entrepreneur in the beauty industry, I realized I'm just passionate about passionate entrepreneurs. And so how can I help other entrepreneurs be successful in what they're doing? Because I really like, I have, I get a high off of seeing other people succeed and realizing, so I'm working with a coach right now and she's helping me to realize that I can be a mentor and I can be like a coach to our clients without sacrificing my freedom. And so that's been kind of interesting. Mm. I've been on this like content creation kick. She said to me, she's like, you're a content creating queen. And I'm like, oh my gosh, really? Like <laughs> I've never thought about it that way. And so really like owning that, owning that I have something to say. I have something very specific to say. I have something that's kind of polarizing to say about being a podcast guest. You know, people are saying, get on the biggest show and the biggest name. And I'm here to say, no, that that's not where the real success is. So I have a polarizing opinion about this and I'm excited to just continue to get out and let my opinions and my voice be heard in this market. Yeah, I love, I love that because, you know, I could not agree with you more. I started my podcast when I heard somebody say the gold is in the guests. It's not even about oh. the listener. So it's, it's, and I always had this sense like, oh, you know, a podcast. I started off as a listener and I always thought, well, having my own show would be fun, kind of, you know, but never really. And when I heard, well, it's actually more about the relationship that you form with your guests. That same weekend I went and started the thing. Right? So, yeah, I yeah. totally, totally agree with you. And I also have seen the impact of that, you know, in real life. I have, that, I have seen that play out. So I could not agree more with you. So where can people go and find out about what, what you're doing about you? Get in touch with you. Yeah. Find out so more. our web. Our website is yesbossva.com and that's where you can find out about what we're doing for our clients. There's a little bit about me and my story on that webpage, but the place that I hang out, I only hang out on LinkedIn. I'm not a big social media girl, but LinkedIn is where I publish content and where I hang out with people. So if you listen to this, you know, find me on LinkedIn and just let me know. I'm always curious to see where people come from and what kind of takeaways they have about conversations. But, and the cool thing is if you search my name, I'm the only Kristen Molinar that shows up in the search i was just thinking that you're lucky <laughs> with, with that name you're easy to find yes i know well, thank I know. you so much it was a delight speaking to you and having you share your story and your wisdom and i'll yeah. hope to have you on again this was so much fun yeah thank you for having me i really enjoyed this i knew i knew it'd be a fun conversation you and i had already I knew it too. talked enough to know <laughs> awesome thanks so much bye-bye bye, -bye. bye. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please don't forget to subscribe. And if you leave a review, I'd really appreciate that. If you'd like some support building or growing your business, especially if you have a tech monster to tame, go to ankeherman.com. That's A-N-K-E-H-E-R-R 
m a n to find out how I can help you do that. <music>